Uh, hi there, I am Amal and you are listening to the Sample Podcast by the Sample Pod. Like as a Syrian, the earthquake has shaken me to the to my core. Um, on the 6th of February, it was like Monday afternoon. I just opened my phone and I start scrolling through uh, social media. The first image I came across was of a dead father holding his son in his arm under the rubble of a collapsed building in Syria. Um, it was captioned, the last hug. I mean, this this image just broke me. I think um, I cannot really describe how I felt in words, you know. Um, I kept scrolling through scenes that were nothing less than horrifying. I mean, we've all been, you know, uh, seeing the news. There's images of destructions of bodies, of screaming children, pleading parents of uh, fear, despair, and death. Um, and Syria is like 7,284 kilometers away from Malaysia, but it okay. didn't feel that way for me, you know? Mm. Um, I think like more than a week after the earthquake, um, so far there's like three earthquakes and 20 aftershock. Um, and as you, as you just mentioned, the death toll has passed 50,000. You know, many more are injured and millions of people are likely now homeless. Um, I mean, I think for Syrians in general, like millions of Syrians, the toll feels especially uh, harsh after nearly like 12 years of war and displacement. You know, okay. we yeah. have 5.6 million regist registered Syrian refugees around the world. Many know that um, those most affected in Syria had already been uprooted from their homes, you know, living in tents and camp and camps. Um, and also northern Syria, the rebel-held northwest in Syria, there's okay. around four million people live there. At least half half of this number have already been forced from their homes at least once by the war, right? And um, so the earthquake was more devastating in Syria, I would say. Um, even like parts of Syria controlled by the Syrian regime, like in Aleppo, where I am from, people are also really suffering and trying to, to recover from the long years of war. And then this, this earthquake just hit. Um, I spent the first day um, trying to call and message my family um, yeah. in Latakia and in Aleppo. And I have a family across the borders in Gaziantep, the mm -hmm. Turkish city that is home to around 5,000, 5, sorry, 500,000 Syrian refugees. Um, I couldn't reach my family, you know, my calls went unanswered. Uh, for almost 24 hours, I was like really, really worried. And when I finally got hold of my mother uh, in Latakia, 
she told me that they have been out on the streets uh, since the earthquake. Uh, almost every window in their apartment has have you know like shattered. Um, she said many other people were in the streets, and it's like right now it's freezing cold in Syria. It's winter. Okay. Some, some like went out because they lost their homes. Other people, um, they were like too afraid to go back in case there were like more earthquake or aftershocks. I mean, by the end of the day, like my Instagram feed, um, it was like it turned into a heartbreaking space. And I had like um, friends who are still in Aleppo and two of them, you know, had uh, passed away. Um, You know, like I spoke to a close friend in Aleppo uh, who told me like she hadn't slept for three nights. She was too afraid to close her eyes. And she told me something like, after 12 years of war, we thought nothing terrorized us anymore, right? at least those who have died can rest, but those who has has like survived, they will never be the same again. Um, so yeah. First off, I'm really sorry that you have to go through that. I mean, you know that people in Syria and Turkey has to go through that, and right. yeah, I mean, like, um, even if you want to say, like, you know. Sometimes I feel like sometimes in sense of hopelessness, people want to find someone to blame. In this case, this is a natural disaster. So you can't really I... blame anyone. So, yeah, it is no, hard. No, and, and and like what you said, to find that sense of hope, right? That that one positive news. Uh, I mean... Um, I mean... We, we can't really blame anyone because it's a natural disaster and it's prone to happen anywhere in the mm-hmm. world. But there is there is a responsibility on the international community to take actions. I mean, United Nations took eight days to move, you know, because they, they kind of, they turned the situation into... Um, Political instead of humanitarian, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Were there any other international, like you know, uh, interference within that eight days before UN came to help? <clears throat> Anyone who had came I to mean, help there was or like, anything? Um, no, the aids uh, that reached Syria, it, it reached uh, very late, and um. There are like few countries that moved and start sending, um, you know, aids and rescue teams. But like, again, the problem is the political situation. Um, like the Syrian regime refused to accept any aid that does not go through Damascus first. So they can control the distribution of this aid. And they want to deprive the north of Syria from this aid because it's out of their control. You know, so mm. like we know that whenever AIDS coming into Syria, it's really not reaching the people that really, really needs it. Uh, that's a problem. 
But like how yeah. like okay um you said that there were two NGOs right um who were based in not Syria yeah. and they are taking their own effort yeah. to um to distribute aids. So basically um yeah. how is um is it possible for like the people here in Malaysia or like the international community to just directly donate to yes. their to their accounts? That's possible. Yes, yes. It is possible. And they have um. They have a big, like they have accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Um, there's always updates about their work and what help that they need, and you can directly donate, and it goes directly to them. It will not go through any go- governmental institution to reach them. Ah, uh, that is why I wanted to hear. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like I personally, and not just only me, there's a lot of Syrians. We trust those two organizations. We really trust. I see. We know I see. that whatever okay. help, like if you send one ringgit, it will be put into a good use to to help the people. Okay, okay. So, um, um, okay, just for our listeners out there, um, I'll put the links to this. Uh, I'll go and read up on these uh, NGOs and we'll put in the links on the episode description so that you guys can, yeah, yeah just, yeah, um, you, you know, feel free to donate. Yeah, that's the least we could do. Um, so we put it on our Spotify episode description and also on our Instagram description so that you guys can, yeah, feel free to donate um, what you can afford to donate. I understand a lot of people sometimes, um, you know, when you talk about donations, I understand that there are people who feel that I don't have enough money to survive. How is it possible for me to help someone else? But sometimes as, as tough as our lives may be, there are people out there who are suffering way more and I don't think it is my right to tell people to donate or to not to donate. It's not my right to say that. But I think um, if it's possible, just try to give what you can afford to give. You know, I mean, no one's asking you to like donate things that you cannot afford. Just donate what you can do within, you know, within, what you can do within your means. And I think that is something um, important for people to realize because I think sometimes when it comes to donations, people think that you need to be a billionaire, you need to be a millionaire, you need to put in a significant amount of donation and only then the donation counts. But sometimes it could just be as small as, you know, five ringgit. And I know it sounds primitive, but and, and accessing the internet is considered now is a human right you know like a basic human right to be able mm. to access the internet and the information uh, out there um but my family didn't have access to the internet the electricity was off um for like uh 48 hours um uh, so it was like really true. difficult to to contact them you know and i had to make like international call to get a hold of them Okay, and so so that's why it took you twenty four hours to actually contact your family. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, I mean you know, um, um, it's good to know that they are doing well. I mean that they are safe. I mean you know yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm I'm glad. I mean this is the silver lining, you know. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes you know, um, I you know when everything seems bad, I guess the only sometimes just being. Something as small as survival, as being safe, you know, could mean mm. a lot. And I think sometimes um, some people might might forget that, you know. So yeah, right. um, it's we good to we know take that, a lot know. of things for granted. Yeah, 
yeah true so um yeah it's it's good to know that you know your family is safe and okay talking about this right we we, we have heard your story we know how this has happened and like what you have said i think you have said a lot of things that um that is probably going to be quite impactful to the people who hear this because i'm sure not many people would have um, the opportunity um to actually directly hear this from someone um especially um talking about this current situation and um you said there's something that you said that i think really um um, I think these words will probably be engraved in my head for a while, where you said that, you know, when you have passed on, you know, when you're dead, then you're able to rest. But the ones who are living... You're struggling, yeah. Um, Life is a hard thing to do. Mm. You know, like, so the people who have survived, they have to live with the fact, uh, with, with uh, the sense of loss, they didn't just like lose their homes; they lost their family ones, and it's a it's a traumatic event that is gonna change the course of your mental health as well as your well being. Um, and I True. think the impact of the earthquake on Syrians was double. And you know, um, and like how you said, uh, one of your friend could not sleep for three days, right? Because yeah. of, yeah, because yeah. of you know the fear, the fear, the terror that something like this might happen again, or maybe she just can't mm-hmm. uh, remove those images of what she has seen in her mind. And and you and you also to and you also explain about how Syria, um, yeah, Syria has gone through war for you know for this past current years, so. How do you think um, Syria is going to get past this ordeal? Because, you know, it is really hard. <coughs> I think it's, uh, it is very difficult for me to envision, uh, you know, a, a solution for this ongoing crisis in Syria. Um, because, like, as, as I mentioned before, like, when you politicalize the situation, you are, like... Is like distracting from the primary objective of providing aids to the people mm. who have endured nothing but suffering and violence and death for over a decade. And as I said, the Syrian regime appears to be exploiting the situation, you know, um, insisting on controlling the distribution of humanitarian aid and labeling those volunteer NGOs that working um, tirelessly in Syria with limited resources, they are labeled as terrorists. Um, I mean, it's like I've been reading the news and, you know, like the Syrian regime has even failed to acknowledge the severity of the earthquake impact on uh, the cities, you know, um, and as I said, the international community was really slow to respond. Like, okay. United Nations took at least like eight days to initiate action because they were trying to, you know, negotiate and compromise with the Syrian regime. Mm. So it's really difficult to see a solution for the situation. Okay. 
is that one of the reasons why you um you know there are people like you um Syrians who actually leave their homeland to seek um asylum and refugee status um yeah i mean there are like several reasons why we leave um our home you know to seek asylum and refugee status i don't think anyone would like to be a refugee you don't really have a choice of course um, of course yeah i'm the 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 most important reason and factor is the ongoing uh, war and violence that has been raging back home since 2011 um and uh, you know like it has resulted in a displacement of millions of us and we didn't have a choice we had to to flee um to stay alive um and the i mean this 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 war that has been going for like a very long time affected the economic uh, situation in syria the economy is collapsing it's not collapsed and has collapsed you know mm-hmm. like one uh, usd dollar equals 6000 syrian pound oh, while wow. be like post uh, post the war one dollar was 45 syrian uh, sorry yeah 45 syrian pounds so you can see the you can see the difference and, the huge uh, difference right yeah and this war like has devastated the country and exhausted our resources um leaving leaving all Syrians struggling just to be able to provide for themselves for themselves and their family and um you know like having a dictatorship regime also is one of the reasons we we don't have a freedom of a speech freedom of religion uh, freedom to be your authentic self. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, the reasons that we live sometimes are complex, um, but mostly because of the war and the economic struggle and the prosecutions of certain groups. Um, you know, Great. Um, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with um, our podcast, we have a quick break with a quick r- rapid fire session called hashtag Sambal Pedas. Um, so yeah, why is it called Sambal Pedas? Um, because we're assuming the questions to be pedas lah, right? To be spicy, spicy. like sambal. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly the questions are not that spicy guys um the main reason of this break is um to just have a quick casual um three to five minutes of you know conversation where i get to talk to you more from like um yeah from a casual perspective because i feel like the whole conversation uh is um you know the whole con- conversation is heavy right which 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 has to be i mean we have no choice but to make that conversation heavy and um maybe uh this one this this few minutes could be yeah it could be a bit of a break to our listeners lah so wow the last came out see it just shows how casual <laughs> <laughs> this session okay. is going to be <laughs> okay so um, yeah 
I don't think you would have watched the movie recently, especially with everything that has gone on. But um, do you have um, any sort of like a favorite movie or like a comfort movie that you tend to go back to whenever you need that? Yes, um, there's this movie called Pursue of Happiness, um, where Will, uh, Will Smith was the lead character in the movie. This movie gives me so much hope. Um, yeah, and I, I will never get tired of watching this movie. Um, I'm also a big Marvel fan. Oh, uh, you are? I see. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big um, fan of Game of Thrones, the books and the series. And like, I love this uh, show so much. Um, I actually, for Halloween, I dressed as Arya Stark. You know, like I had the whole outfit with the cape, okay. with her sword needle, you know, and the boots. Um, yeah, I love the show very, very much. Um and I think like Game of Thrones, it's uh, an accurate representation of the world that we live in, even though it's uh, fiction. But it speaks I a see. lot about the human nature. Oh, you look at it that way. Um, because um, yeah. GOT, uh, Game of Thrones, I only watched like the first season and then I did not, uh, yeah, I did not go mm. into it. But um, mm. I, I actually don't know why I've not gotten into it because a lot of people tell me that it's a great series. Except the last season, I heard there's a lot of controversies over the last season. Of oh what my god, the, the last season was um, a disappointment, like really disappointment. <laughs> but I don't think they would have ended it in any other way. George Martin, he created this fictional wor- world and at the same time made it so real for us that you get invested into it. Mm. You know, it's, it's amazing. I echo your sentiments. Yeah, because like usually yeah. I've not watched GOT, GOT um, and get that invested. But yeah, I've I've grown up with Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, mm. you know, Insurgent. Mm. So the, you know, the whole Divergent series, right? So, and I've read the books. I feel like it's always the books that are better than the shows or movies. So mm, yeah, I think nice. it's um it's high time for me. I've not I've never read a fantasy um trilogy in years. To be honest, I think my books mm. are way more boring now. But um, maybe <laughs> I need to uh, I need to yeah maybe I need to actually um get into GOT and see how it is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's on um. Oh yeah, and I also uh, agree with uh, the pers- the pursuit of happiness. Um, that's that's a fantastic movie. So yeah, for those who have not that's watched it, it's an amazing movie. Yeah, yeah please mm. go to so. <laughs> um, speaking about movies, I think the movies that we're talking about are more um on the western side. Do you have like any sort of like Syrian movie? I don't know, like that you feel like we Malaysians oh. should check out. Yeah. Well. Unfortunately, I mean, the the Syrian drama is well known across the Arab world in the Middle mm-hmm. East. Mm-hmm. But we don't produce any good movies. We're more into drama and TV series, right? Um, okay. I wouldn't say, okay, there's like recently on Netflix, there was a release of The Swimmers. Um, mm-hmm. It's a... It's based on two Syrian refugees' story sisters. Um, Yusra oh, yeah, and I watched it. Sarah. It, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't say it's a, it's a Syrian movie at all because like m- most of the <laughs> actors they were from Lebanon, uh, except for oh, Kindalou, okay. which uh, played the um, she played the mother of the two sisters. Um, okay, and I mean the movie is very important. It's a big production, you know, because yeah, you know it's been done by Netflix, um, and it could give. Um, a glimpse um, of how Syrians become refugees. Uh, Yusra and Sarah, just like me, they are not a representation of the Syrians or refugees. It's just they had their own unique story, mm-hmm. you know. To share. And okay. because because of these unique stories, um, they were able to reach more people. But there's a lot of uh, refugees do not have this platform. They can't let their voice be heard. Yeah. True. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, we were supposed to keep this casual and suddenly it turned into a little bit dark and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I think we were about to get into the episode anyway. So I felt like you gave a very good way for us to get back to the episode. <laughs> right. You don't have to worry about keeping this casual. or You don't have to worry about the tone of the episode at all because I think the Mm. most important thing here is about being honest and having a raw conversation and so it doesn't matter if Mm. the conversation is awkward or the conversation is like uncomfortable I feel like this is these are the things um, Malaysians need to hear so yeah Um, and it's it's fine it's just one episode anyway we're not doing like a whole series and things so if people can't even listen to a whole episode of this, then um, I don't know what hmm. to say about our humanity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, you spoke about yeah. I I actually I actually love the movie because um. Well, yes, it was a big production because, like you said, Netflix um, they have money mm. and um. I feel like yeah. um, because it was on such a big platform, people start mm. recognizing refugees more or people started to right. be more aware. I mean, like, peop- I think um, everyone knew refugees exist. Like, people know refugees exist. These people exist. All these people have, mm. have hard lives. Okay. But, like, not many people mm. would really take the time and effort to truly understand the struggles, right? Because right. I I mm. feel like, <clears throat> because, you know, humans, I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming people because I understand, uh, I understand some perspectives where people feel like my life is already hard enough. Why should I go and right. listen to more hard or serious stuff? So um, having a Netflix show about that, I think is a, it's a fantastic move. Okay, so talking about refugees, right? Um, let's talk about you, Mimo. Let's talk about the good and bad living here in Malaysia. Mm. Mm. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, honest? Okay. I don't want to get arrested, though. Um, <laughs> I mean, I honestly don't know where to start, but um, living in Malaysia has been an amazing yet very difficult experience for me. Um, I love Malaysia so much. Like, personally, I love Malaysia so much. Um, I love the diversity of this country, the rich culture that you have. Um, um, and you have beautiful nature. I mean, I've never. Okay, I, I, I 
have not been to so many countries, but like I've been to Turkey, uh, Egypt, and Lebanon, and okay. Singapore, and Malaysia. I would say out of those countries, Malaysia is the best. Um, and even though, okay, I know there's inflation all around the world, um, mm. um, but, and everything is expensive. Like everywhere, so, everything is expensive. I mean, I think all of us are struggling right now. Like, you know, like just buying food, it's mm. became really expensive. Food prices are so high now, it's true. Right, right, very, very high. But the cost of living in Malaysia is kind of lower than in some other countries in the region, you know. Mm. And like I said, Malaysia has a diverse uh, population. For us as refugees, we might be able to find communities, you know, that share um, our background and our language, culture, and religion. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, I think those are the pros, pros and living in Malaysia. You know, I've met incredible people here. Um, um, I was able to, like, for the first time in, in a very long time, be myself authentically, even though, like, we try to keep it under the radar, you know, but like you have a vibrant LGBTQ community here. Okay. Which oh, is, you do? Yeah. Is it vibrant? Yeah. Okay. It's very vibrant. I mean, it's it's colorful. It's amazing and very welcoming. Like it has mm. not. It, it has been nothing but good and welcoming uh, for me. And again, the Malaysian cuisine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you have durian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wait, is this a good mm. thing or a bad thing? I wonder. Are you a fan of durian? I mean, for me, yes, I'm a fan of durian. I love durian. Oh, so okay, much. I'm happy and to I hear that I, because a lot of people don't. I, I, right, yeah, I don't understand those people who don't <laughs> love like durian. I'm like, is there wrong, something wrong with your taste buds? You know, because <laughs> I don't. I love durian. Okay. You want to talk about the bad living in Malaysia? <laughs> Let's be um, honest. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to talk about from my own experience and perspective as a refugee. Okay. We sure. refugees in Malaysia, we face uh, discrimination and xenophobia. Um, okay. As well as there are like social and culture challenges in adapting to your local environment. Mm. Some Malaysians can be called. Um, also, refugees in Malaysia, we are not really recognized by the government. So we're not allowed to um, own property, open banks account. We have difficulty finding housing. Because like, you know, like when you're looking for a place to rent, there's they send you this form, uh, your name, passport number, nationality, occupation. Some of them ask for a visa situation, like your visa status. So mm-hmm. it's really, you know, like difficult. Um, and also, yeah, like we're not allowed to work in most uh, professions and 
when we do find work, usually with low wages and poor working conditions. So we don't in like enjoy the same rights like Malaysians. You know, we're not just like oh a second class citizen. We're like kinda invisible. You would be facing deportation. Yeah. Okay. Have you been in a situation like that where you had problems with immigration? Oh yeah, of course. I had to bribe my way out. <laughs> uh, bribery in Malaysia, God. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. I think it's yeah. everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, corruption is everywhere. It's just that um, yeah. I think our bribery in Malaysia is probably one of our main concerns. So that's why. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but at least that worked in your favor though. Yeah, I yeah. know. I mean, I'm so I'm so glad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, you said that I understand when you say that we yes, it's I think it's obvious that you guys would deal with xenophobia because I feel like even the Malaysians themselves, maybe maybe it's because we live in a very diverse country. There's no such thing as a mm-hmm. mono, um, you know, a mono religion or monocultural kind of mm-hmm. society. So because of mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, even people who are born and raised as Malaysians, uh, you know, mm. we have certain races who are treated as second-class citizens, you know, despite yes, you, yes. Um, your grandparents and whoever being born and raised in Malaysia. So, mm. yeah, that does not mean, um, I mean, I understand that there's, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners out there who are like, oh, we are second-class uh, citizens, we face racism. Yes, true, I understand that happens. But that mm. does not mean um, that, you know, it's okay to ignore refugees. You know, just because mm. they are not Malaysians, right? So, because they are, they, right. um, everyone's a human. Everyone deserves survival. They deserve a place to live. They deserve comfort. They mm. deserve happiness. And yeah, it's easier said than done, right? To gain equality is easier said than done. But yeah, um, how do you think? Like, you know, this is just like from your perspective. What can mm-hmm. Malaysia do to be better to refugees? You know, maybe with the new government that we have and all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think Malaysia can do? Um, okay. First of all, like Malaysia is one of the few countries in the world that has not uh, ratified the 1951 uh, UN convictions on refugees. Yes. Um, true. If Malaysia can like by ratifying the conviction, Malaysia can provide refugees with legal protection and access to basic services, you know. Um, Mm. That would really not just help refugees. Yeah, not just for refugees. It will will also help the Malaysian society to contain refugees and integrate them into the society you know true um and also like refugees in malaysia often live in a very overcrowded and unsanitary uh, i'm god my english you know like unhealthy conditions yeah not clean conditions yeah i get what you mean right so providing better uh shelter would really help um also, access to education is really important. There is many refugee children in Malaysia are unable to attend schools. 
due to financial situation and their um, refugee status. They don't have access to education. Uh, I know there are a few good NGOs um, and very few schools who are trying to provide education for refugees, but it's not enough. Uh, and like refugees often face discrimination and xenophobia. They need to, like the, the Malaysian government can address this by promi- promoting, you know, tolerance and diversity and raising awareness um, of the contributions that refugees can make to the Malaysian society. Um, I just want to ask a question out of curiosity because um, I think the refugees that I've met through you and all are all based in KL. Um, and I think a lot of NGOs for refugees are also based in KL. Are they refugees who are based in other parts of Malaysia and, you know, they're not getting the support systems even more worse? Yeah. Are there situations like that? Okay. Um, there are a few refugees uh, in Penang and a few refu- refugees in uh, Pahang State. Um, I don't know many, though. Um, so mm. it would be difficult for them to access support because, like, as you said, most of the efforts to help refugees is concentrated in KL. Mm. Yeah, I think this is something um, maybe people should look into. I think this could be mm. this could be the start of many conversations, how to give support. And honestly, you're talking about support. I I think this actually goes more than refugee support because... Um, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's a very known fact that we most of the NGOs and most of support systems are based in KL because you know it's the urban areas. It's either in KL or the other urban areas, Selangor and you know other places mm. around Malaysia. But what about the people living in the rural areas? Um, there's so right. many Malaysians living in rural Malaysia, uh, in rural areas who are still you know um, support uh, who are still having a lack of education, lack of yeah, basic yeah. needs. And yeah, um, it's the same thing. Uh, it's the same kind of attention that we should start giving to the refugees as well, you know. Because uh, if you think Malaysians are suffering, these people are suffering way more. And I think that's right. something um, a lot of people should start paying attention and start talking about, yeah. you know. Yeah. So Thank you for pointing yeah. this out, yeah. Oh, no worries. It's the least I could do, really. And let's hope that our listeners, you know, whoever listening into this um, would create spaces to have more conversations because sometimes I feel like, you know, we are just telling that, you know, sometimes I think it's very easy to feel helpless, you know, listening to all this. It can feel very helpless or depressing or, you know, uh, you know, you can mm-hmm. feel that I don't have anything to do. I can't do much. Like, I don't have money. I don't have mm-hmm. power. Like, you know, I'm not like um, Biden or whoever. But um, the least you can do is to start having more conversations at least having conversations, having awareness, you know, at least even mm. if Malaysians are not, you know, if common Malaysians, common middle class people are not able to, like, um, do much to to provide equal mm-hmm. education or anything, at least you can be mm-hmm. nice, you know, at least, yeah. you know, a simple, uh, uh, you know, right. gesture of kindness yeah. would do a lot, right? It is. It will go a long way. Just the fact that when you look at someone and you realize at the end of the day, this this someone is a human being just like you. They just didn't have the luck that you had. Yeah. You know, 